Hello, and welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson, and I'm so glad to have you back. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Eccles alum, Brian Pham, who is here to talk about his experience at the Goff Strategic Leadership Center and how his time as a Goff scholar prepared him to be an impactful leader after graduation. Brian graduated from the Eccles School in 2022 with a degree in marketing and became a minor celebrity as the student speaker at his commencement ceremony. During his time at the Eccles School, Brian served as the executive director of Out for Business, an LGBTQ student organization that aims to increase inclusivity and representation within the broader business community. He also served as SEO lead at the Sorensen Impact Center, where he led a website design project for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he had what might be the best job in the world as a book blurber for a local bookstore where he read and reviewed copies of books before they were released. Brian currently works as a product marketing manager at Microsoft in Seattle, where he is joining me from today. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Francis. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, I want to dive in, Brian, this season we're talking about the Eccles School value of confidence to impact your world. And so to start off, I'd love to hear what that word impact means to you when you hear it. What do you think of? When I think of impact, I think of mostly in the context of impact in relation to others. Rather than impact on the world, I think that for me personally, I prioritize impact on on other people and or recognizing how they impact me as well. It's those little micro relationships that I think really make up your entire life. I think this is such a great answer and such a great place to start because impact can feel kind of overwhelming. Making a big sea change on a big organization or on a big problem can seem almost impossible sometimes. But by focusing on these impacts that we have in our daily lives, on the people around us, and then remembering that creates a ripple, right? It creates an effect that can go out much bigger than we anticipate. I think that's a great way to think about it and to start our conversation. And I think during your time at the Eccles School, through all these different ways that you were involved, you really had an opportunity to impact people in these kind of micro relationships, as you said. And I hope we get a chance to talk about all of them. But I'd love to start with your experience at Goff. So tell us how you were introduced to Goff. What prompted you to get involved? The way that I got introduced to the Goff Strategic Leadership Center was actually through a friend. She told me there's this really cool group where you're able to work on real world problems. I think her and I freshman year were really kind of frustrated at the lack of opportunities to try real projects. Just doing it in a classroom setting of doing these different projects and assignments wasn't enough for us. And we were looking for ways to really challenge ourselves. And when we heard about this and this opportunity, it was incredibly exciting. For people who don't know what Goff is, what the Goff Strategic Leadership Center is, that's a great segue. Maybe you can describe the experience itself. So it attracted you because it was a chance to work on real world problems, actual projects and problems. Talk us through the experience, kind of how it works, the type of projects you worked on, and then we can talk about the impact on on you as a student. The program that I was in served essentially as a student-run consulting agency. 
And so this little consulting firm worked on a variety of different projects, real-world projects brought to us by, for example, the Utah Department of Human Resources. We had a bunch of sustainability and environmental protection nonprofits approach us. We had a bunch of local different companies approach us with a variety of different challenges. And so we would be tasked, it'd be a classroom setting. In the classroom setting, we'd essentially be tasked as consultants to solve these business problems over the course of a year. And what was it, I'm curious about why even from the very start of your experience, a freshman at the Eccles School, why was it real world experience that you were really craving? What is the impact of that on your educational experience and on your personal experience? I think that this ties into the flip side, the other side of impact that we're talking about, right? This impact on relationships and the people you're around, but also impact on the world. For me personally, I found that just doing assignments in, in Canvas and an Excel spreadsheet that was all theoretical didn't make impact. And I wanted to leave some sort of visible mark somewhere. And I think having those real world opportunities gave me the chance to actually make an impact in the world. And to maybe see the impact, right? Absolutely. I think as I've sort of researched this topic and dived in and talked to other people involved in Goff and other places around the campus, it really is a sort of hallmark of your generation to want to be involved in impact-oriented work, to want to make a difference. And I'd love to hear from your perspective why do you think that is? What are the factors influencing you, influencing your peers that really give you that desire to not just complete a classroom assignment, to not just learn something theoretically, but to really go out and make a difference? In my opinion, the reason why so many people in my generation are looking for impact-oriented work is because I think of macro trends in a generational level. When you look at trends specifically looking at meaning and religion. If you look at Gallup polls, for example, our generation is the least involved in religious communities. And for me personally, as a non-religious person, I understand this need to fill that, that gap of finding some sort of meaning and ability to make impact in the world. I think that our generation really feels that when you have a lack of these other structures and institutions such as religion. And so a lot of us try to seek that in what we do on a daily basis in work. And if we're able to make that impact in work, I, I think that's a huge reason why people seek out this sort of work. I think that's really interesting. I've actually never heard that before, but it totally makes sense to me that we want to exist within structures that we feel like matter. Yes, absolutely. Right? And if we aren't finding that from other maybe more traditional or more common avenues or avenues that have been more common in the past, then it becomes really the defining characteristic of the type of work that we want to do and the ways that we want to spend our time. I think on top of that, there are even broader trends in the, the way that we view work in general, right? I think if you look between different generations, work is viewed very differently. I think that it wasn't introduced until the 90s, if I'm, I'm correct in this Someone's going to have to fact check me. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't until the 90s that this concept of you should be passionate about your job was introduced, which I think is really fascinating. Before that, it was viewed as like your work is your work. You go home, you, you know, you're your breadwinner. But it wasn't until the 90s I hear that this expectation that you should be really passionate and follow your dreams. And if not, then 
in some regards, there's this kind of broader cultural value that you're seen as you, you failed if you don't bring your passion to your work, which I think is really fascinating, especially for me. I think this conversation is really interesting, especially as I explored it throughout college, right? Trying to figure out where I want to do and what I want to do for, for a living was really mired in, in these conversations. How did your experience at the Eccles School kind of shape that to help you? I don't know if you came in knowing this is what I'm passionate about and I want to do this, or if you had any experiences or influences while you were at the Eccles School that helped you really refine that and narrow in on it a little bit. Oh boy. For context, Francis, I did not ever think I would get a degree in marketing or business at all, full stop. I initially went to school. I was planning on going to attend film school in California. I enrolled in film school. And then last minute, I switched to the University of Utah. And here I was like, okay, I know I no longer want to pursue a film degree, but what do I want to do? And so I explored, I sampled a million different things. I almost became a psychology major for a little bit. I ended up somehow in the business school and I explored different options such as operations supply chain. I almost considered doing blah, 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 X, Y, Z things. I, I jumped around a million times. And I think if I'm being completely honest, and I hope this is helpful to you, whoever is in college still and, and listening to this, I wasn't that intentional about my major in the end. It was more of, I played a game of musical chairs and the music stopped at one point and I had to sit down if I wanted to get a degree and graduate. And I got a marketing degree, which I don't regret, but I'm just saying, I hope that this alleviates some pressure for a lot of people. Of like, oh my gosh, I need to get a certain degree or I'm screwed and X, Y, Z things. I wish I can go back and tell myself and say, hey, it matters to a certain extent, of course, but like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. This is a great connection, actually, to what we talked about last season on the podcast, which was the Eccles School value of continuous curiosity. And in those episodes and conversations, it really came out about the continuous part of continuous curiosity, that we shouldn't ever feel backed into something that part of being curious is to keep evolving and changing and to really reframe our idea of what it means to fail and what it means to succeed. And like you're saying, kind of let go of this idea that I have to go into a space knowing exactly what I want and instead going into a space with just a really open and curious mind and saying, let me try this. And if it doesn't work, it's not a failure. It's not a waste of time. Let me try something else. Absolutely. I really deeply resonate with that sentiment and that general mentality, right? I think that's a growth mindset where you're able to say, I'm going to explore as many different avenues and see what's out there and not going to beat myself up when I fail. I'd love to tie it back actually to talk about how my experience at Goff Strategic Leadership Center influenced my whole journey exploring. As I said, I explored a million different majors and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so this was a great opportunity for me to just try out something, to wear a different hat and see how I felt about it. And my experiences at the center actually really influenced where I am today. So I'll tell you a little story. We had this project, I think it was halfway through the year. It was this huge international, they're based in Guatemala, called the El Mirador Basin Project. And they came to us and they said, we need a few different things. And one of those things is brand strategy, branding in general. And for me, I've always worked in visual communication as in general. I, I considered film for a little bit. I worked in website design. I worked as a portrait and wedding photographer for a few years. So I've always really loved visual communication design. And so this project was really exciting. I really 
got thrilled by the idea of working in this new medium of visual communication through branding. And so I tried it and I actually fell in love with it. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why I fell in love with it. At that time, we were looking to create what was called a brand book, which is a compendium of style guides of, okay, everything from what colors do we use for the brand to visualize this entity to what's the tone? How do they present themselves, et cetera, everything about that. I got really thrilled by that concept. I love working in that abstract visual. It's fascinating to me and, and really exciting and rewarding. And so I thought that it would be really, really cool and a really cool, exciting project to be able to present to our client a physical book, a physical brand book. Usually you just send these as a PDF. And Bonita Austin, who runs part of the program, she encouraged this. She saw this opportunity and this excitement that I had. And rather than saying, hey, we don't need to do that or that seems excessive or that seems improbable with our timelines. She said, you know what, Brian, go for it. Go for it and actively encouraged the exploration. And she gave me the confidence to actually do it. I taught myself how to bind a book within two weeks. And so I, I built a physical book within two weeks and designed the whole thing. And it was such an exciting project that it really influenced where I am now. I think that that experience, especially interacting with Bonita Austin, she believed in me way before I ever did. I think that project and that experience was so pivotal and formative that it really changed the course of where I am now. We're talking about impact based on relationships before. And when I think of some of my most impactful relationship experiences, I think that my relationship with Bonita Austin in that context really impacted where I am now. And I'm so glad, Brian, that you brought us back to this idea of confidence because there is no impact without believing that we can make a difference and having other people believe in our ability to make a difference. What do you think in your experience or in other people that you interacted with during your time at the school or in other parts of your life, what are some of the roadblocks that we face to believing that, hey, I can come in and really do something here. I can really make a difference. Oh, Francis, let's talk about confidence roadblocks. I can talk about this all day. So I am a walking ball of imposter syndrome. Just to make sure that everyone's on the same page who's listening in, imposter syndrome is essentially this belief that you are an imposter in whatever role you're in. So say that you're the star of the basketball team or something like that. And reality, you believe that you just ended up here as a fluke, like someone let you in on accident or you somehow convinced people to let you into this room. When in reality, you're an imposter and they're going to figure you out eventually. And so you're always on edge and you don't believe in yourself ever. Other people believe in your ability. They'll see your ability and they'll believe in your skills and your reasons to be there. But in reality, you feel like you don't belong. I remember working as a wedding photographer at my first wedding, I show up and I'm like, who hired me? Who let me here? Who's paying me money to be here? Who's in charge here? <laughs> Who's in charge here and who let me be here? My last wedding that I shot, you know, like a dozen weddings later, who let me in here? Who let me be in this room? Who hired me and who believed in my ability? This has happened in every single experience I've ever had in work. So same at Goff. I felt incredible imposter syndrome where I looked around the room and everyone in the room had incredible hard skills and they're the best in each of their classes, right? There's someone who's incredible at coding in Python. This person builds these incredible financial models and they have these hard skills. And I'm sitting in the room, believing, like, what am I doing here? 
who let me into this room? Bonito actually opened a poll at the very beginning of the class and asked essentially that question is who's experiencing imposter syndrome right now? And it was incredible. You can see it as the majority of the class, vast majority of the class was experiencing it to some sort of degree. And I found that really one, kind of sad, but also really, you know, liberating in the sense that we're all in it together. I currently feel at my job at Microsoft. Somebody hired me. Somebody let me into this room. But why did, why did they do that? Who let me here? Honestly, those are some roadblocks. The biggest roadblock, I'd say, to confidence. And I think your experience with Bonita really shines a light on how important other people can be for us in overcoming that, how important we could maybe be for someone else, those micro-relationships that we've talked about now a couple of times, which I love that one way that we can make an impact is to be the person who says to someone else, hey, I know what you're feeling. I've been there. I believe in you. I believe that you belong here. And I believe that you can do it. Well, Brian, I'd love to go back to Goff a little bit. And Benita, I hope you're listening to this great tribute (laughs) to the wonderful staff and professors and experiences that are there. But one principle of the Goff Center is this idea of strategic leadership and really taking this desire that people have to make a difference and make an impact in their work and in their communities and putting a kind of framework around it that allows you to actually go into a place with the tools, the practical tools that you need to make the difference that you want. So I'd love to hear, Brian, if you have any thoughts or memories of those leadership principles that you learned during your time at Goff and maybe some opportunities you've had now in your post-graduation life to put them to use at Microsoft or anywhere else. Absolutely. There was this one principle that they really drove into our heads constantly while we were there and is formulating the right questions, figuring out the right problem before you even start to tackle anything. And I remember in our program, we would ask a question and it would get shot down and then rephrased. And we'd have to go back to the drawing board and say, did we ask the right question? Or you formulated that. Interestingly, let's dive into why that might be, you know, how how can we make a better question? If you don't ask the right question, then you'd be solving completely different problems, the wrong problems, right? I think that I've carried that principle everywhere, not just in my work, but also in my life. Making sure that you're asking the right questions every step of the way really changes how you view the world and view work and everything, problem solving and the broader scheme. And so now in my job at Microsoft, I spend a lot of time, I realize half of the job is making sure you're asking the right question and formulating the right problem before you even start anything. I think the solution execution is probably way easier than problem definition. I think that's trickier. And that's a really tricky skill that I don't think we think enough about. And I I think that my experience at Goff really tuned me into that. I think it's also such an important skill because if we're not asking the right question, we're not always even getting to the person who has the answer that we need, right? Really understanding the question that we need to ask, the correct question to help us define the right problem, also creates an opportunity to hopefully get a more diverse set of voices to the table, a broader pool of answers, so that the solutions we're coming up with are really inclusive and impactful in that way too. Absolutely. The way that you define the problem will define the solution. Absolutely. 
I think that an example, and maybe I'll just cobble together this example. So let's see how actually useful it is. But an example I think of is when you're looking at public health solutions for health crises, for example, in Africa, you're looking at how can we decrease the child mortality rate, for example. That's one way you could phrase it. But you can ask even better questions. Specifics. How do we decrease the child mortality rate in this region and decrease this specific instance of malaria? Or I can phrase this better. So you got to workshop the question, right? It's how can we use malaria intervention programs to decrease child mortality rates in Africa? And that'll change everything, right? It's the specificity, but also looking in the right places. Because you could look way different solutions and that'll lead you down different paths. But I think that if you ask the first question, you would be looking at broader hospital systems. If you ask the latter question, then that actually liberates you. Narrowing it down liberates you and you're able to say, okay, mosquito nets, vaccinations, information programs, health programs. That's a cobbled together example, but it might illustrate kind of what I mean by asking the right question. And I think it's also a great example of sort of going back to our conversation in the beginning and this idea of impact feeling really overwhelming and how can one person make a big difference on a big systemic problem or a big systemic issue. But by asking the right question and narrowing down to these smaller root causes, now we can see, well, actually, this is something that I can impact as one person or a small group of people and build those solutions on each other to address this bigger problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a confidence builder too. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that the alternative is paralysis. If you feel like it's such a large, unmanageable problem, for example, climate change, then you have no confidence. The opposite of it, I guess. I don't know if this is exactly the inverse, but instead you're left with inaction. I think that ability to break down something and to feel like you are able to have an impact at a smaller scale gives you that confidence to create impact in the world. Well, Brian, I think this is a good lead into something else that I wanted to chat about, which was outside of your goth experience, some of the other things that you were involved in, including out for business. So just as a refresher, this is an LGBTQ plus student organization really working to increase inclusivity and representation in the business community and impact there as well. And I'd love to hear the impact that that organization had on you, but also how do those efforts towards inclusion and inclusivity make an impact for these marginalized and sometimes really overlooked communities? I think that's a great question, Francis. In terms of the reason why we do the work that we did and the work that we is currently being done. The reason why we're really passionate about this is because in the business community and in, in general, it's we spend our days at work. We have to be able to feel safe and included at work. Absolutely. And, and workplace protections are critical. For example, prior to 2020, in the case of Bostock v. Clayton, prior to that, LGBTQ people didn't have specific workplace right protections in over half of the the US. And so because of that, you could be legally fired on behalf of your sexual orientation and your identity, which is absolutely absurd, especially considering it's 2023 now and luckily we have those protections in place, but that doesn't that's just the the base of the problems, right? If you look at studies for example, surveys show that over 40% 
of people who identify as queer are not out at the workplace. They don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable being out at work. And for us, we wanted to be able to change that at a small scale. It might be here with a dozen people at the David Eccles School of Business. It might be here in a classroom of just you know 30. It might be here presenting to a small company, a local company, but there's a huge ripple effect. If you're able to change the mind of a few people, those people are able to create a feeling of belonging and safety for someone who really needs it. And when you consider we spend so much of our days at work, it's so critical that you feel safe where you are and you bring yourself to work every day, right? You don't want to feel unsafe. You want to feel unwelcome. And so our goal is to, it isn't to be able to change everything. We recognize that, but it's that small impact we have. If we can change the opinion of three people who are classmates, I consider that success. And those people then go on to change the mind of other people, right? I always think of it as multi-level marketing, but in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way to put it. That's one way to put it. A good kind of pyramid scheme. (laughs) A good kind of pyramid scheme where we're spreading goodness and inclusion and acceptance. Inclusivity allyship pyramid scheme. My favorite. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Maybe that's my big business idea. And then I'd love to touch on the second part of that question. We're talking about how my experience there influenced me personally. I think for me, it showed how advocacy really matters, how you can show up, how you can take space, how you can actually make an impact, big or small. I think in addition, it helped me feel more comfortable being in spaces. As a queer person you know, at work, but more broadly, just in general, I think having that community, our team was so tight-knit, and I loved being able to interact every single day and be able to take up space in this community, it was so impactful and meaningful for me personally that I was hoping that we could take that. And it's like the feeling that I have of feeling safe and welcome and seen, I want to be able to bring that to others. And that's the reason why we were there. I think this is also such a great example of what we talked about earlier, that no effort is wasted regardless of the outcome. And that As we exist in these different spaces and really work to make an impact in places that matter to us, that gives us a sense of confidence, a sense of belonging that we can then take into all the other spaces where we exist, right? So these lessons of advocating, of taking up space that you gained an out for business now can apply to Goff. They now can apply to Microsoft They build that toolkit of skills and self-confidence that we all need to go into all the places where we have to be and really believe in our right and our ability to be there. And I think you bring this kind of concept where confidence in in a multifaceted sense. It's not only confidence in your ability at work, right? It's like, oh, I can make a mean spreadsheet. You can be confident in that. But it's also your confidence is bringing yourself as a person, no matter what your identity is. It's being able to bring yourself to work. That's a completely different type of confidence, right? And you have to have it all or work on it all to be able to really show up in spaces. And I think that my experiences here at Golf and at the David Eccles School of Business really prepared me and, and gave me that confidence to be where I am today. What would you say to other students who are now where you were just at the beginning of this process, whatever their identity, whatever their major, 
but encouragement to current students or even recent alums like yourself who are working on building this confidence. Do you have any tips, any advice? Here's the thing. It's just so hard to give general advice that's still helpful that isn't, I'm not a confident person. That's the thing. (laughs) So you're asking the wrong guy. I feel like that is a great thing to know, though. I mean, I think especially in the business world, right, where we see just these people who just seem to be oozing confidence and ability, that it's kind of comforting to know there are a lot of successful people out there who are maybe not feeling very confident, who have had to work really hard to earn that and have and continue working hard to keep that. What a, I mean, I feel like it's really a gift to those of us who maybe don't fit into that confidence molds that we still have the opportunity to excel and succeed at just as high a level. You bring a good point. For a lot of people, you'll see on the surface that they're these like super high functioning, incredibly competent, confident people who who just hold themselves in a certain way that you're like, wow, that man exudes confidence. But in reality, so many of us are like ducks on water, floating peacefully, but you can't see the frantic paddling underneath the surface, right? Things for a lot of people. I don't think I'm exactly in the, the space of frantic paddling per se, but there's a lot under the surface where I wouldn't define myself as a super confident person. We're talking about confidence this entire podcast episode, but I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as the most confident man in the world. I have no shame in that. I'm not liberating. Mean, it's not It's not a defining feature. It's, it's liberating almost, right? I think it's more of admittance to the fact that you don't know everything. You don't have all the skills. And instead of seeing that as a way to beat yourself up, you can view it in an optimistic light where it's like, I don't know anything. I don't have all the skills. But that means I can learn them still. It gives you an opportunity more than anything. And I think that's a different way to reframe it. Because confidence, I think the danger about confidence is that it can lead to overconfidence pretty easily, where you you believe that you know everything. You believe that you're able to do anything. And that can lead down pretty, you know, in a negative path. That's not the most healthy thing in the world as well. You know, you gotta have a healthy dose of self-doubt. I think there's a balance there, right? Yeah, I love that idea of balance and of reframing it to say, I don't know this, and instead of saying, I don't know this, and therefore I can't move on or I can't succeed, saying, I don't know this or I don't feel this, and now what an opportunity for learning, what an opportunity for growth. Well, Brian, uh, you've mentioned a couple people, Benita Austin, some faculty in operation and supply chain who really influenced and shaped your experience. I'd love to hear before we part ways today, a person who has had the biggest impact on you. When I think about people who impacted me, it's a countless list. It's really difficult. But one that's on top of my mind recently is I'm thinking of Megan Kawaguchi. Megan is an incredible human being, as you know, Francis, right? She works in your office together. But for me, Megan, at the moment I met her, has this like energy to her and this passion to her that she brought and advocated for us at the Out for Business group that we led. She was a ferocious advocate for queer rights in the business school. And for her, I I appreciate her immensely, both as someone who advocated for us, as a friend, as someone who I look up to in a lot of different ways, 
and really impacted my own self-confidence and where I am today. She's the one who believed in me and said, you know what you should do? You should deliver a commencement address when you graduate. I said, Megan, absolutely not. And somehow she built up the confidence in me that I could. So for her, for countless different reasons, I'd say I'd, I'd like to shout out Megan Kawaguchi. And tell us about that commencement speech, Brian, and this idea that individual people have an impact on us and then they become part of a network that impacts us. Let's close with that idea. Absolutely. And so the concept that I played with when I was delivering the speech was I was looking at how trees take care of each other, how whole forests take care of each other. When you look at forests, I can't believe we're talking about fungal networks now, but trees are connected underground through these fungal networks and they share resources and information. And these are dispersed through an entire forest. And it's not a single tree that'll hold up a forest. It's the entire forest that impacts everybody. And that interconnectedness is what I really wanted to elaborate on. And so it leads to this question where Megan Kawaguchi had a huge impact on me and countless others who build up that forest, right? And we all hold up each other in a lot of different ways. And that's the sentiment I'd like to close out on. I love it. Brian, I'm so grateful to you for joining me here today and sharing this great insight and your experiences. I've personally found it a very impactful conversation. I'm so glad to hear and thank you so much for having me, Francis. I appreciate it. And thank you for pushing play on this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another discussion about how our Eccles community is making an impact here on campus and around the world. Make sure to subscribe to Eccles Business Buzz wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss it and invite a friend or fellow alum to listen with you. You can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM. Until next time.